Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, want to know this week? Want to know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, Penn State, 45-14 win over Indiana. Uh, Penn State won this game basically on a first quarter that I don't think it's possible for it to have gone worse for Indiana. Penn State outscored them 28 to nothing. Uh, Saquon Barkley returns a kickoff. Uh, there's a fumble return. There's like one or two other really kooky things. It was just a very bad first quarter for Indiana. And we saw Penn State jump on that. Uh, rest of the game was a little bit sluggish. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think anyone would go out and say that after that first quarter, it was the best game you'll see out of Penn State. But Nittany Lions, you know, anytime you walk out with a 45 to 14 win, I think you got to be pretty happy. So, Nick, uh, Penn State ends up winning a football game by a hefty margin, 5 and 0 on the year. Start with a question we always ask on these Sunday podcasts. What did you learn? I think that my thoughts on how good the Penn State defense is have been cemented yep. because this defense is really, really stupid good. Indiana's offense is, they haven't, I mean, they've been scoring a lot. They scored 21 against Ohio State, 34 against Virginia, who is suddenly looking pretty good. Um, Georgia State, they or Georgia Southern, they put up 52. So clearly this offense knows how to score, and Penn State just completely bottled them up. It took until Peyton Ramsey came in to really, for them to really get anything going at all. And, I mean, rushing quarterbacks have given Penn State trouble a good amount over the last however many years. So that wasn't terribly surprising, but this defense is really good. Yeah, it just, I, I don't know what it was about the defense, but it seemed like I mean, we came into this game, and I think the big concern, at least that I had, and I think a lot of people might agree, I think you might agree with me on this, was that the one thing that hadn't happened this year was Penn State wasn't tested down the field really well. Uh, the four teams Penn State had played leading up to this just weren't really great at pushing the ball down the field, really testing a secondary. And if there was one thing that we knew Richard Legau could do, and if there's one thing that Simi Cobbs is really, really good at, it was stuff like that. It was, you know, put him one-on-one, let him go to work, let him cook against a defensive back, throw the ball in his direction, he's going to get do something with it. We saw this in the game against Ohio State. And for whatever reason, Indiana just could not do that. I mean, the Ramsey thing, yeah, he provided a spark, but it was ne- by that point, I think the game was out of hand. I think Penn State was maybe not paying as much attention on stopping him as they probably, like, as you'd probably want. Uh, I think they were just very focused on, you know, we'll do what we do, we'll defend the pass, we'll rush four, we'll rush three, whatever it is, and have that work out. And it just worked. I mean, Indiana had 352 yards of total offense, which I I never felt particularly threatened by that. They turned the ball over four times. They just were... They couldn't get anything in this Penn State defense. And I think that uh, of all the offenses that Penn State has played, uh, Indiana is the one that kind of scared me the most. Uh, I know by uh, some advanced metrics, uh, S&P Plus, their offense is ranked 72nd in the nation. 
I don't know how that matches up to everybody else. I haven't quite had the time to look at that. But it was, here, we'll just check one more. Pitt is at 52, so whatever. But yeah, I was expecting their offense to be able to do a little bit more. And I think the big thing we learned from this is that Penn State's defense can take away the thing that you're able to do the best. They were able to take away Indiana's ability to pass downfield. We saw last week they were able to take away Akram Wadley from doing too terribly much, at least until the very end of the game. Uh, We saw in the Pitt game that Pitt was never able to get any kind of a rhythm on offense, especially running the ball and catching them off guard with their various smoke and mirrors. So it was, yeah, I think it was a really encouraging performance from Penn State's defense. And uh, we'll talk about this now because we're going to talk about things that make us excited. But another thing I learned is that Saquon Barkley is uh, immortal and he could do absolutely anything he wants and it's kind of terrifying. Let's talk about that 100 QBR rating. Sure, sure. Yeah, one for one, 16 yards. So actually, I was I watched most of this game at a bar where I um, wasn't able to hear it. There's no sound. So I went back and watched the somebody posted a 40 minute version on YouTube that I've been watching. I've been rewatching highlights all day and just watching Saquon, the one-handed catch, the um, the pass, the kick return. I went back just out of curiosity and read what I wrote when he initially committed to Penn State back when we were with SB Nation. Um, I wrote the second this paragraph. This back in 2013, con- just to be clear. Yes, this was, let's see, it was, so it was February 19th, 2014, 14, actually. Okay. Um, and the second paragraph of what i wrote about like his outlook going forward was uh saquon will most likely play running boy i was not a good writer saquon will most likely play running back for penn state but has the athleticism to move around the field similar to penn state target josh adams he has the physical tools to compete for a job early on and will likely do that saquon is the first piece of what could be an extremely talented running back class for 2015 i i was i kind of was chuckling at myself that i wrote that right after the game where he returned to kick for a touchdown, threw a touchdown, and really didn't get much going on the ground. His longest rush on the day was eight yards. Um, his longest reception went for 36. So he got his he got his in other ways. But yeah, it's pretty – there's not there, – I mean, there's no words we can really use to describe him. But it's really interesting how Indiana has just really kept him from getting anything going on the ground for two years now. And I've – one thing that stood out to me when comparing the Iowa game and the Indiana game was thinking about just how different the strategies were from each team to trying to stop Penn State. Iowa pretty much said, go ahead, Barkley, take whatever you want. We're just going to try to tighten up in the red zone and not let you throw any deep balls, and not let you get chunks that way. Whereas Indiana says, we'll let you do whatever you want over the top. We're not going to let Barkley beat us on the ground. So these two different teams now have thrown these two extremes of a game plan out. And of course, we've seen teams try to like go in the middle in the past uh, year or so and try not to really to sell out one way or the other. And then they just get in, end up getting burned by both. So I don't, I really don't know. I mean, Iowa came really close to doing it. So I guess maybe the answer is just let Barkley eat and try to hold up in the red zone. But I don't, I really don't know how you stop this Penn State offense and Barkley specifically. Yeah. I mean, well, for first things first, I mean, you didn't really mention this part, but let's remember the one thing that we've wanted to see out of him, if anything, this year was for him to be more comfortable on kickoff returns. 
first play of the game, he gets a kickoff and he houses it for 98 yards. Looks so, totally different than any other kickoff yeah, this year. He just year. looks so much more comfortable. He looked like the kind of guy who's been doing it for a while. I mean, we had seen on past kickoffs, he'll catch the ball and he'll try to make something happen. This was really the first time that I would argue he saw the ball land. He got the ball landing right in his arms and he just took off and he saw the first bit of space that was there and he just attacked it and he went off and that I, I can't think of many guys in college football who I would trust to catch up to Saquon Barkley in a foot race. And he was just straight off. And then, yeah, running the ball wasn't his best game. 20 carries, 56 yards. Uh, the big thing was his longest carry was only for eight yards. He didn't get a chance to, you know, break out that long one. Uh, and I thought that was because Indiana did a really, really good job attacking Penn State's offensive line. I don't know how many times from my, where I was sitting, I saw Indiana, uh, Penn State's offensive line is up there, and then Indiana is having T. Gray Scales and another linebacker whose uh, name escapes me. Really just attack Connor McGovern and just go right over center and try and blow that up. They're blowing that up. Their tackles and ends are then getting into the little bits of space, and they're creating chaos, more or less. And Penn State... I mean, we'll talk about Trace McSorley here in a second, but this was very much not his best game on the ground. I mean, he had a fine game through the air, despite what uh, you know the uh, a lot of people on Twitter have been saying. On the ground, he I think if you ask him, he admittedly struggled. He was struggling with when to pull it, when to give it to Barkley, and yet when your offensive line's not giving you much time or space to do anything, it's going to look a lot worse, and every decision you make is going to be. Uh, going to be the wrong one, but there was just this general, it seemed like lack of cohesion in the running game. The good news, though, was the passing game, it went pretty well. I mean, Barkley, like you mentioned, he had that one uh, one catcher run where he just threw his right hand up, snagged the ball, and then it was almost like he was Neo in the Matrix and everything just slowed down and he's bouncing around and going by dudes. Uh, yeah, and I don't know what he could do to really shock me anymore this season. Um, he, 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 it's just fantastic with him. And he is so good that he can have a game where he's not running the ball well. And I still would argue that he's probably the Heisman front runner. I know uh, Bryce Love out at uh, Stanford had a really good game. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's still around. Lamar Jackson's still Lamar Jackson, all that stuff. But Barkley's still the guy right now. And, it makes me excited that he can have a not great game running the football, Nick, and Penn State can still win forty-five to fourteen, and he could still have more. My, I haven't done the math, but more than two hundred yards of total offense. Yeah, uh, looking back on the post I wrote about his Heisman chances back in February, the three things that I know I've said this on here before, but. Uh, that's okay. The three things that I was able to kind of narrow in on the the three non-quarterback Heisman winners in the last um, 18, 17 years, the three things you have to hit on were be known as someone who strikes fear into opponents with every touch of the ball. Obviously, check there. Hope there aren't any transcendent quarterbacks because the quarterback position will always be valued more highly. None of the – I mean, Baker Mayfield's been awesome, but he hasn't been throwing the ball that much because Oklahoma's been playing really well. Uh, and then play in front of a national audience as frequently as possible. Penn State's been on ABC 
I think at least four out of the three, at least three or four out of the five games they've played. So, I mean, he's right on track with the things he has to do to win the Heisman, and the rest of the country is kind of cooperating with him right now because, like I said, Mayfield's been good, but he hasn't been, like, legendarily good. Lamar Jackson's been great, but he obviously has the problem where he has to be better than he was last year in order to win again. Um, And then Bryce Love Love is really, really good, and he definitely deserves more hype. He definitely deserves more hype, but he unfortunately plays at Stanford, and half of his games start at 10.30 at night for people on the East Coast. So it's just not a great situation for him voter-wise. So, I, yeah, I, I'd agree. I, It's weird that you can be a running back and be a Heisman frontrunner after putting up 56 yards on the ground, but when you house a kick for 98 yards, when you go for 51 more through the air, and when you throw a touchdown pass, there's... I mean, you're proving your worth in other ways, which is arguably more valuable than him going for 120 on the ground. Yeah, and of course he he, he threw for a touchdown. Which I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Were you? I, I saw a few people who were kind of upset that Penn State ran that play when it was, you, you know, it had a pretty insurmountable lead in the fourth quarter, and you know they were quote unquote showing a wrinkle or. Uh, whatever the argument is. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do want to hear your thoughts on it. I don't think it's showing a wrinkle. I mean, there's every there are very, very few football players who are playing high-level college football that don't know how to throw a football. Like, every single time you pitch a ball out that it's when it's technically a lateral, I don't think there's any... I don't think there's anyone in the country who you'd really be truly surprised that they actually throw it. Like, every anyone can throw a football. So I wouldn't call it necessarily a wrinkle. I would call it more of... In fact, I think it was a good idea that they did that because now teams going forward, they might just hesitate a little bit when they see that straight lateral pitch like that, and that's all Barkley really needs to get moving. So I understand what people would be upset about and saying, why would you save that for the Michigan game? But now that's just one more thing the mission's going to think about when you add that on top of all the other things they're already thinking about, like the rediscovered deep ball game this week and the Tommy Stevens packages, which I know we haven't seen in a couple weeks, but they're still there. It just gives teams more things to think about. And the other side is that we it's very clear, and we've discussed this, that this season is the Saquon Barkley show. This season is dedicated to getting Saquon Barkley a Heisman Trophy um, because it lines up perfectly with Penn State winning. So they're going to do what, if they have an opportunity to show him off in another way, they're going to do it. So I I understand people saying maybe you should have saved that for a bigger game, but the impact is still the same regardless, in my opinion. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where... I view it more as showing off a different wrinkle. I mean, I don't think that, you know, Penn State is playing Ohio State and, you know, Penn State's down by four points with eight seconds left and the ball's on the 15-yard line and they need to make a play to win it. Like, I don't think they're running the toss to Saquon and he throws the football play because if you're having your running back throw a football in that situation, like, you're out of your mind in all likelihood. But like, I, I do understand wanting to see that in a situation where there may be some higher stakes. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I at least see that argument. It, yeah, he, he's 
I, I hope that they keep finding – I hope they, like, put him at middle linebacker and we get to see what he could do there. And they put him at, like, right guard and we can see him try and mash up there. Just all this very fun stuff that we've seen out of Saquon because – Let him call plays for us. Let him call plays, whatever. Uh, this just got retweeted on my timeline. Barkley is the third player in the last five years with a rushing TD, receiving TD, passing TD, and special teams TD in the same season, according to ESPN. He's ridiculous. So, yeah, just – I, I don't even know what else we can say about him. So let's move on uh, to talk about anything that might have given you uh, some concern in this in this forty-five to fourteen win by our beloved Nittany Lions. Uh, I think the obvious answer is the offensive line. They didn't do a very good job of opening up holes in the run game again, which is disappointing. After last week, they did a much better job than they had been doing the rest of the season. Um, the pass blocking was okay, not great, but McSorley had enough time to load up on a more than a, more than a couple deep balls. So I, I wouldn't really complain about that. Um, the defense was outstanding. The other thing is, well, I know we'll talk about it more later, but McSorley's, a lot of his decisions on the read option just were not great. Um, but I, I can wait till we go in more depth on him to talk about that. Yeah, we'll we'll do that in a second. I, for me, my big concern was that it seemed like the second quarter, mainly the third quarter to an extent, but not nearly as bad, it seemed like Penn State just kind of was sluggish and uh, took its foot off of the gas a little bit. It wasn't terrible. I, I, I do wonder how much of... Uh, the fact that Penn State didn't score in the second quarter, I wonder how bad they look, quote-unquote bad they look in the second quarter is a reflection of the fact that they just kick the crap out of Indiana for 15 minutes to start the game. I'm not 100% sure about that, but what we've talked about how Penn State's a bit of a feast or famine. They're a home run hitting offense, all this stuff. And... It's a little bit concerning that they do go through these slumps, but I'm also not too concerned because, and this is something that like Bill Conley kind of harps on whenever he is talking about why is this team considered really good by S and people why is this team considered really bad by S and people whatever it is. When you're going out there and when you're playing well and you're just absolutely just mowing through teams, it shows that you have the capability to do this, and then it's just a matter of doing it over the course of an entire season, or doing it over the uh, course of an entire game. And we'll try and get Bill Connolly on an episode of the podcast sometime in the future so we can talk to him about this. But the big thing for me is I want to see Penn State kind of not have those little bit of slumps like the one we saw against Indiana. And if they can iron those out, I don't think it's a massive concern just because of how well they play when they're on their game, but... If they can figure that out and they could play a full 60 minutes of football, I mean, last week, Penn State could not score, but they moved the ball like crazy. And we saw the offense could do that. It can move the ball on a pretty good defense. This week, we Penn State struggled to move the ball consistently, but it scored a bunch of points. So even if they were coming you know, from defense and special teams, even if defense and special teams weren't necessarily scoring them, they were playing big roles in shorter field or whatever it is that we saw that they can do it that way 
I mean, I'm looking at the S&P Plus numbers for defenses right now. Iowa's 19, Indiana's 35. They're two very good defenses, and we saw both sides of Penn State, Penn State against them. And I think this is something that I'm not concerned because I think Penn State's not quite the fully formed monster it can be yet. But, Nick, the fact that Penn State has quote-unquote struggled on offense at times despite having the number 11 offense in the country by S&P Plus, that's something that I'm – I'm encouraged by I don't know if you're encouraged by it or if it worries you or what. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they've quote-unquote struggled, and they've put up 52, 33, 56, 21, and 45 points in the first five weeks. I I kind of – I mean, I, I don't think that you can really be too cynical about that. They're clearly not clicking on all cylinders – and yet they're still putting up 40 points a game. That's crazy. Teams don't do that. The bad offenses don't do that. Penn State is a really good offense and a really good defense, and special teams that, by the numbers, aren't ranked very well for whatever reason, but their special team, well, my, my guess is not for no goals. reason. It's field for goals. Tyler Davis. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well, we'll talk about him in a, probably we'll in a later edition of the podcast because we plan on having this being truncated. But there, it just seems like this is the perfect mix of everything uh, coming together to be not great on D on special teams. And it's unfortunately impacting because I do think he's a good kicker. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're doing, they're doing everything well and they're showing that they can do all these things well in different ways. They, Iowa was the Saquon Barkley highlight mixtape. It was all Barkley. And then this week Barkley did a lot, but, and for all the griping about Trace, he threw the ball really well. He missed on some passes, but every quarterback misses on some passes. That's not abnormal. Then they were able to kind of revive some of that offense from last year, which we hadn't really seen yet. We hadn't seen more than three deep balls in a game, really, and this week we did. So I think that these first five weeks have just been about maybe a little bit of exploration on the coaching staff's part of what can we do on offense this year. And they're, I think they're just trying to figure all this out as they head into the more difficult stretch of the schedule now. And I think the fact that they're, it seems like they're almost experimenting in different ways and they're still beating teams by 40 points and scoring 40 points is crazy. Yeah. That's something that's actually kind of funny to me because I've seen a few people basically say, uh, I think Penn State's really great. I think they're this. I think they're that. And then I see a lot of Penn Staters, and I see a lot of concern about a bunch of things. The big thing for me is Trace McSorley. And I want you to kind of just take the ball here. By now, I think if you're listening to our podcast, you've heard both sides of the Trace debate. Uh, you know, they're the people who are going, he went into the Rose Bowl this year. He's uh, He's – kind of mastered running this offense. He was fantastic last year. He was a Heisman candidate coming into this year. All that stuff. Then you hear the other side, which is, well, he's done this poorly this year. He's done this poorly this year. Maybe Tommy Stevens should get a chance. Whatever all of these uh, arguments would be. So, Nick, I kind of, what are your thoughts on this entire debate? Because this is something that, admittedly, it hasn't really sat well with me this week, but I want to hear what you have to say. I think, first of all, it's an unavoidable debate because when you see – there's what, there's there's enough of a debate over fans normally when you have a backup quarterback who's perceived to be pretty good. 
it's a whole different scenario with Stevens, who we've seen do so many good things that it's just so easy for somebody to say, well, he's been so good in these small doses. Imagine what he was doing if he was the starter. But the thing I think that's going on with Trace right now um, and the reason that I he's struggling on the ground, I think there's some overcorrection happening because last year, as we know, the offense kind of got unlocked and started started becoming what it is now when Trace started keeping the ball himself and started using his own legs more. I think that was probably a kind of a push from the staff and from the offense to make sure that he kept doing that this year because it showed it I mean it it literally took the offense from like level G to level A. Like it was a, such a night and day change. So I think there's probably just a little bit of overcorrection. I think he's pro- I mean, he's been keeping the ball sometimes when he shouldn't have been. He's been taking off from the pocket more often than maybe he needs to. And he's still gotten fine results overall, but he's he's just making some wrong decisions here and there. And some of that's on the offensive line, absolutely. It's tough to it's really tough to run the read option effectively when you don't really trust the blockers in front of you uh, because so, I mean, the whole point of the read option is find the guy who's unblocked. Well, when there's multiple guys that are unblocked, it's kind of hard to read that. So I think, I think there's just a little bit of overcorrection going on there. And I think that that's something that can easily change. And as the season goes on and they just keep running it more and more, I think he'll get back into that groove where he was, by the Big Ten championship game and by the Rose Bowl last year. But I think any complaints about him are definitely overblown because he's still leading this incredibly potent offense, and he's doing it pretty well. Yeah, Stevens has looked great in the time that he's been in there, but he's been in there in garbage time, and he's only played meaningful snaps at quarterback against Akron and against Georgia State, uh, which I don't need to tell you are not good defenses. So I I understand frustration with his lack of execution in the RPO game right now, but I think that's zeroing in on one very small part of his game when everything else seems to be going pretty well right now. Yeah, I, I I'm I think with that I think when you can't run the ball or you're struggling to run the ball and McSorley was, he, he very much struggled running the ball yesterday and I'm pulling up his stats now, 16 rushes for negative 19 yards. That's why Penn state had the very hilarious uh, rushing line of 37 carries for 39 yards. When Saquon Barkley had 56 yards on the ground. That's a Fitzgerald Tucson, uh, 24-14 <laughs> Michigan kind of line. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Trace this year, 56 carries, 179 yards. That's three yards a carry. It's not like life-altering or anything, but it's fine. I mean, it's fine, you know? And I think he's doing a – it's whatever. I, so much of the read option is dependent on getting the ball and making that decision and going, oh, well, that's the guy I have to read. I'm going to – uh, give the ball to Saquon and let him take it, or I'm going to take it, whatever. And Indiana and uh, Iowa, they both have good defenses, and they're both designed to stop that, and that's going to be an issue that pops up in a few weeks against Michigan and Ohio State. But for now, it's 
it, it's a correctable thing. And I think once the offensive line starts gelling a bit more, which I is one thing I do anticipate to happen, I think it won't be as big of a deal. The weird thing for me has been the complaints about him throwing the football because, yes, he hasn't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he's still completing 65.6% of his passes. He still has you know, 8.45 yards per attempt, a 4-to-1 touchdown interception ratio. And, yes, I know he is throwing the ball to Saquon Barkley, but at the same time, of course he is going to throw the ball to Saquon Barkley. Of course he's going to check down. And also, 27 of his 105 completions are to Saquon. That takes, so to say, he's only throwing the ball to Barkley, and that's the only reason why his completion percentage is so high, takes away from the fact that Deshaun Hamilton has 20 receptions, Juwan Johnson has 18, Mike Gesicki has 20, DeAndre Tompkins has 10. The ball, I think, is being spread around a little bit more, and it's just easy to focus on the times that it's going to Saquon because he's Saquon Barkley and he's a freak of nature. I don't think he is having as big of an issue throwing the football as it's kind of being made out to be. Yeah, he's missing some guys and he's not throwing some balls perfectly. But again, at the same time, his numbers have been pretty solid so far. Last This last game, the game that kind of led to the well, we need to see Tommy. We need to see what Tommy can do crowd coming out. Trace was 23 for 36 for 315 yards with a pair of touchdowns and, yeah, one interception. But he was still had a very solid game. And, yeah, maybe Penn State is not going to win a national championship with Trace McSorley under center. But I'm going to bet that that's also the case if Tommy Stevens is not under center because... Alabama and Clemson and the teams that are going to win the national title or are going to be there to win the national title are just really freaking good. And it doesn't matter who Penn State puts under center. And it doesn't matter who is there to give the football to Saquon Barkley. This kind of thing is just going to happen. So I don't think that McSorley's issues throwing the ball are as, are what they're made out to be. I think he's fine and I think he's going to be fine. And then as the season progresses the chuck it deep offense that worked so well last year as you know someone establishes themselves as the team's number one wide receiver i think that starts opening up a little bit more which opens up a new dimension to the offense but i am not worried about mcsorley just yet i don't know how you could be too terribly concerned i think if it is if you are concerned with him right now it's because you're just used to the sky falling or you're not used to the fact that you can't complain about something. But I think he's going to be fine. I really do. And I think he's been very solid so far this season. And with a Northwestern team that's coming up on the horizon that's designed and is very good at taking one or two things away from you and is going to more or less make him throw the ball to win this game, plus a bye week to prepare for Michigan and Ohio State. I think the schedule is working out nicely for him to get on something of a hot streak to end the season. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he can, and I have faith in him in that. Uh, yeah. Go yeah, uh, go, I, go, State. I think the only, the only thing that you can – being worried about McSorley's arm right now is not – a very good argument. If there, if there, you want to be worried about something about about uh, 
wait, did I say Saquon Barkley or something? I thought I said Saquon for Nick Sorley. If you're going to be worried about anything with him right now, be worried about his see his off decisions in the read option game and be worried about his pocket presence because he has not been as decisive in the pocket as he was last year so far. He took five sacks against Indiana, probably two or three of which he probably didn't have to take. Um, maybe he's bailing out of the pocket a little bit too soon. But again, that's that's a mix of him and the offensive line. So it's while it's it's always a, you can always question no no one's perfect. There's always things to question about every player except Saquon Barkley. Right. <laughs> but I it's I mean it's kind of a dumb argument right now. Yeah, opinion. yeah. I mean if listen if Tommy Stevens was able to go out there and throw for 500 yards and complete 80 percent of his passes and never turn the ball over and run the ball more efficiently than Trace McSorley could, then yes, I would want him in. But for now, I... And also, this it has to be said. It absolutely has to be said. The Tommy Stevens should get a shot argument to... Sh- it is really stupid, because that is not happening. It is going to take Trace, like, doing something incredibly stupid and uncharacteristic off the field, or for him to get some kind of an injury for... Tommy to get come in and get meaningful reps out there. So I I think it's dumb that we're talking about it, but I think it's something we should discuss because it's something that I think a lot of Penn State fans are uh, talking about right now and want to get an answer to right now. And you don't you don't change your quarterback when you're on a five game winning right. streak and rank number four in the country with one of the best offenses in the country. That's right. stupid. It's right. stupid. Right. Exactly. And it, it'll be fine. It will be fine. I, I promise you Penn State is not going to miss a bowl game this year, humble listener. Penn State is going to be fine. Uh, yeah. Let's go around the Big Ten really quickly. Uh, nobody cares about anything, and Rutgers lost by a lot of points. Good thing it was a night game. Good thing it was a night game. And, yeah, I – Ooh, I need to look up how many recruits are at that game. I, I'm hoping – I'm really hoping <laughs> that they did not – do what they did last year. Oh, they didn't. And they have like all of their recruits at one of those big games where they just got absolutely. They had beat. they had over two hundred recruits at the Michigan game last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, I remember. Well, Nick, I remember. While you look one, that up. I will go through the rest of the Big Ten slate. Okay. Sure. Okay. Nebraska uh, beat the hell out of Illinois because Illinois is very bad. Twenty-eight to six. Wisconsin Northwestern thirty-three twenty-four. Uh, Credit to Northwestern. I think they kept that a little bit closer than we were probably anticipating. And hopefully Wisconsin kind of, you know, beat them badly enough physically that they're a little bit exhausted next week. Ohio State Rutgers, 56 to nothing. Greg Schiano got honored. It was all very funny. Maryland, Minnesota. Maryland, 31-24. Maryland might actually be pretty good. Uh, we have our power rankings coming out on the site. I believe I have Maryland fifth or sixth. I, I do believe in them. Uh, I think DJ Jerkins is a fantastic coach. And then last up, Michigan State 17, Iowa 10. Sure, everything there makes sense. Nick, what can you tell us about uh, Rutgers recruiting for this game? I haven't been able to find anything yet. I found a post on Rivals about who they had visiting, but it's locked because I do not belong to the Rutgers Rivals site. Um, Visitor list Ohio State. Let's see. Uh... 
Yeah, I don't know. I can't really find anything. Oh, I'm well. gonna. I I mean, it was a night game, so I'm sure they had a bunch of guys. Right. Um, I'm sure they had a bunch of guys there, but I'm going to go ahead and say that they probably didn't invite 200 again. Right. You would think they weren't from their mistakes, but yeah, whatever. Hey, it could always be worse. They literally allowed two fewer points against Ohio State this time than they did the last time they played. So good for them. <laughs> I saw somebody tweeted, at this rate, they'll tie them 0-0 in like the year 2045 or something like that. <laughs> um, oh, God. Did you did you run through all the games? Yeah, I did. Don't don't worry. Nothing uh, nothing good happened. Is there anything that you want to discuss? I was gonna say uh, Michigan State looked pretty good. Iowa looked deflated, which is understandable. Um, the Maryland Minnesota game was interesting. Bordenschlager played pretty well. Um, I don't. I still don't think Maryland will be able to do much without Kasim Hill, but. Um, oh, also, I wanted to bring up in the like previous four podcasts this year. I think you said Kasim Hill's name different every single time you talked about him. You went with uh, Kasim Hill, Kasim Hill, Kasim Hill. It made, made me laugh. Oh yeah, um, I, I I think he's good, and that's not because it seemed like he was coming to Penn State for a while. But yeah, apo- <laughs> apologies for that on the off chance that uh, Kasim is that correct? I'm pretty sure it's Kasem. Okay, Kasem. Apologies in the event that Kasem Hill listens to this podcast. <laughs> Let us know. We'll have you on. Um, and then Northwestern Wisconsin was interesting for a half, and then it got uninteresting, and then it got interesting again. Um, I think Northwestern's pretty good. However, just one thing to know, and we'll talk about it in the preview pod later in the week, but Wisconsin sacked Clayton Thorson, I believe, eight times. Hmm. So for a Penn State defense that has just been tackle for lost fiends all year, that could be interesting. Yeah, if we'll, we'll talk about this next week, but I, I think that the way that you beat Northwestern is you just basically run the same defensive game plan you get, had against Iowa, which is you maul them up front and you get into the backfield and you – one, contain Justin Jackson, and two, make Clayton Thorson uncomfortable. And that's 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 reassuring. I, I didn't get a chance to watch this. This was the first Penn State game that I was able to, like, tailgate and whatnot. Uh, shout out to Ben from Crimson Quarry for coming up for this one. And a very fun story was that I went and I said hello to him, and there was a Penn State lady at the tailgate next to him. And she thought it was so beautiful that these two strangers went up to one another and we're being so civil in the name of sports. And then she got kind of disappointed when she found out we knew each other and it wasn't just like good sportsmanship or anything like that. But there's currently a picture of the two of us on some uh, woman's phone. So if you listen to this podcast, person who took that photo, please, uh, my emails on the site, get in touch with me. Uh, there's no such thing as civility in a rivalry as human right, as this. Right. It's, I, like, I, I was actually kind of offended because doesn't she know what punt week is which by the way a uh, real quick punt week thing blake gillikin is just out of his the best mind. he is insane like i cannot believe someone that good goes to penn state at any position uh let alone punter which you know also is saquon barkley and he's insane as well but neither here nor there yeah any uh final things you want to say on this edition nick go hawks sure 
thank you for listening to this edition of Roy Lions Radio. You know all the ways to subscribe. You've heard them a million times by now. If you haven't, I have no faith. Follow us on Twitter. Leave at, a review. Leave a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Buy some shirts. They're very comfortable. And yeah, one last time. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Happy Valley Eyes, man. <laughs>